Okay, hello, good morning. Everybody got quiet as I was asking Ben a question. Uh, my name is Joseph. Uh, welcome to DNC. I don't know if there's visitors or not, but I hope that if you're here, you feel welcome. Um, so one, I'm going to be doing announcements real quick, and then I think we're going from there into our sermon time, and then we'll have some worship at the end. Um, but our first announcement is we have a visitors list that Ben is holding in the back corner over there next to the coffee. Um, so if you are a visitor or you just want to get more information about our church, please go sign up. Uh, we're not going to like try and seek you out or everything. We just want to make sure you have a place to go if you want a family and a community. And we just want to let you know what we're about and who we are. So if you can fill that out, that'd be great. Uh, the next announcement is we have a woman's hangout. My phone locked, and I don't know what it says. Um, so address up there, it is today at 3 p.m., so don't forget, it's like literally in a few hours, um, and y'all are going to make candles of different scents and things, so make some candles, get ready for the holiday season if you like candles, I don't know. Um, and then our next announcement is small groups. Um, so the majority of people, if you have already signed up for a small group, you should have received an email assigning you to a small group. So this announcement is only maybe to confirm you know where you're going, if that's, the if that's the small group you've been signed up for. But if you have not signed up for an adult small group and you would like to get involved, these are our options up here. Um, you can kind of see who's in charge of each one, see if you can get a hold of them. If you don't know who they are, come ask me, any of the staff or people that have been here, and we'll be able to point you to who that person is. So it's on different nights, different topics, kind of figure out where you want to go, and you can go from there. And I think that is all of our announcements. So are we doing offering leader? Now? Okay, cool. We're going to go ahead and pass around the offering. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for that. And then as we pass it, just remember, end all the way to the end, back all the way across. Don't use these aisles. Okay. Dear God, I just want to thank you for this community and family and that we are all here to really learn about you and get to know each other and uh, learn how to love each other better. Um, I thank you for the sermon series of really figuring out how we can communicate your good news um, through images and stories. Um, and for the lessons that we've been able to learn, I want to thank you for this offering, that you really use this to bless our community. Um, there's a lot of people in need in our area and even within our own church that we are really able to bless through this. And I just pray that you really open up our hearts to give to you this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okie dokie. Yes. Hello. My name is Brad. I'm one of the ministers here. We're going to continue with our series today. How many of you are freshmen? Where, where are our freshmen at, man? Do y'all not like freshmen? Yeah. Okay, one freshman this morning. Okay, sometimes we're just going to have to institute. We haven't done one of these in a long time, like bring a friend Sunday. So we're just going to do an informal bring a freshman Sunday next week. Uh, so find a freshman somewhere and bring him to church or her next week. Leslie will be doing a story, so you'll know it'll be better than what I uh, will do today. Uh, it'll be kind of an, a challenging one on giving up your life uh, for the sake of saving it. And um, so, anyway, bring a freshman next week. What's next week? Next, what's next Sunday? Bring a freshman Sunday, right? How exciting is that? Okay. How many sophomores? Okay, uh, so we don't need any more sophomores then. Uh, we got plenty. So bring a freshman uh, Sunday next week. Just came to my mind. We're going to do it. Be prepared to meet freshmen next week, uh, and uh, that'll be really good. The other thing, too, is that um, I haven't started announcing this yet. 
Uh, I've actually got two announcements. The first one is that we only have one more Sunday next week before we're going to be out two Sundays in a row, okay? So on the first week of October, um, we are, um, excuse me, I should say, we're not going to be out the first week of, of uh, October. College students will be out. The adults will still be here. We'll have a little adult thing, you know. We do really, really exciting, smart things when it's just the uh, non-college adults that are together. So college students, you have winter camp, um, winter camp, fall camp. It's not winter yet, although we all want it to be here as quickly as possible. Uh, and then the week after that, uh, we're, um, you know what, I am making weird announcements. The 14th is the day, that's right, 14th is the day that we're going to not be at, uh, here at the building. We're going to walk the community and uh, like we've done plenty of times before, and so we'll meet on Saturday morning over at Rivera or Riviera, whatever that one's called, elementary. And we will go talk to neighbors, fix things, pray with them, uh, do what we've been doing every month over the summer and once a semester uh, the, the last year or so. We're going to try to do that every other month. So we'll do it in December. We'll do it October 14th. Yeah? So two weeks in a row for you college students. You'll be gone. Uh, the rest of us, it'll just be one. So the 14th, Saturday, we won't be, or Sunday we won't be here. Saturday we'll be at the elementary school. Is that the 14th? 13th this is the Saturday. This is what happens when I don't do the announcement slides. I get messed up. I should do that. Um, and then the, uh, the seventh, the college students will be gone. All right, cool deal. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be rocking and rolling. Uh, we also posted this week a, uh, an anonymous opportunity to participate in the story uh, sermon series. We got one response. Thank you for the one person who responded. It was pretty cool, too, because it was an image, and then they wrote some things about it. Uh, you have no excuse now not to participate in this. Even if it's the worst story you think anybody's ever written, post it, and then don't attach your name, and we'll all just laugh at you. And at least we got a good laugh out of your uh, submission, okay? Um, please do that. There, there, I mean, maybe, you just, maybe we haven't convinced you enough yet that stories and images are important. Maybe it's on us, you know? Don, you're shaking your head. Yeah, we haven't convinced you enough. That's the problem. Anyway, we've got that form on our Facebook page. Take an opportunity this next week, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and uh, create a psalm, a proverb, a story, find something. I found something super weird today that's a kid's story that I'm going to show you. And some of you, you're going to have nightmares uh, tonight, but I kind of like that weird, edgy kind of stuff, so I think it'll be good. Um, but do that, all righty? Uh, you've got the opportunity now to do it on online. And then the only other thing that I have is that in about two weeks' time, we're going to be doing another fundraiser for the Metro Auto Ministry. A lot of you know what that is, but for those of you who don't, that's our primary mission here at the church, is we provide free, a lot of times, car repairs and car parts for people who can't afford it. Most of these folks are outside of our church, although a lot of you have benefited from it as well. Uh, people from the community who are coming out of um, UVH or out of other organizations that are nonprofits in, uh, in the city. We work with a lot of people, guys. I get like 10 or 15 calls a week, okay, for car repairs, for free loans for cars, uh, or no interest, and market value loans. A lot of people need a car to be able to just get back to a normal lifestyle. And so being able to pay 10, 20, some of them a week, uh, you know, maybe 100 a month, basically enables them to work again. And so this is our big mission. We have no money anymore. Uh, we raised $12,000 last February, and so we need another 18000 for the next year. We've already raised half of that, $9,000, from three really generous donors. 
and they're going to match that fund. So if you give $100, it's like giving $200, because they're going to match dollar for dollar everything that you give. And so be looking for that on Facebook uh, here uh, pretty soon. And again, the two major things that we do, free car repairs, and, uh, and then also we give out loans to people uh, that are no interest, they're less than the market value of the car, and if any of you understand the subprime auto uh, you know, um, industry, it's very, very, very cutthroat. And you pay three or four times as much for a car than it's worth, you get no warranty, we give everybody a warranty for the year that they have the car, uh, and, uh, and they're paying uh, an astronomical interest rate. And the default rate on uh, subprime loans for cars is somewhere around 25%, which is about a quarter. Our default rate is 2.5%. So we get, we've done 30 cars, 32 cars so far, and only one person ever had to have a car repossessed. So it's pretty good odds, right? But people were really appreciative of that. And then when some of you actually get rich, um, or richer, the third way you can help us, which I'm not assuming many of you have the ability to do that, is you can actually give us a loan. Uh, so let's say you give $3,000, and we will pay you 12 to 15% in interest back on that loan over the course of a year. And so you're making twice as much as the market can give you as an investment, all right? And uh, when you actually have that kind of money, you know, you can talk to me. But uh, for now, we'll just assume that most of you can't uh, underwrite a loan for someone's car. But you will in time. You will be able to. All right, lots of announcements. Good stuff. So um, the sermon series uh, title today is A Terrible Garden-er, in parentheses. Uh, and it should have a subtitle that's be careful how you listen, because in all of Luke 8, that's the most striking and I think thematic statement that Jesus makes when he says, be careful how you listen. And so I want to focus a lot of our conversation and reading today on that idea. But the garden is a very, very popular story. And what's cool about this story is you really can kind of look at it from two ways, both from the perspective of the gardener who it takes a certain skill to make sure all of his seed isn't you know, uh, strewn about on rocky places or in thorns or things like that, but then also in us being the soil as well. And in fact, in all of Luke 8, there are these stories that kind of switch back and forth. And one, we're the soil, and the other, we're the lamp giving light, not just receiving light. And it goes back and forth and back and forth uh, in that, that passage. And we might read it, but I don't know if we'll have time. We'll see sort of what happens. I've already shared with you how terrible a gardener I am many times. But for those of you who've never heard it, I am a terrible gardener. Most folks in the, you know, sort of middle class don't really know either how to work with their hands or how to kind of take care of themselves if there was a zombie apocalypse. I tell my students that all the time, that the people who would be first to die would be the middle class. Because we don't know how to garden and, like, take care of ourselves food-wise. We don't know how to work on anything uh, or how anything works. So zombies would get us first, right? Rich people could fly away to like the you know, uh, least populated, least zombie-infested areas. Poor people could probably like come up with some ways to like live underground and live on little. We would all die pretty quickly. Well, uh, my experience with, with gardening has very much been that way. I have tried to, to do and raise vegetables like the easiest vegetables, like peppers in Texas. No, I tried okra. My okra stories are interesting because one season I had pretty decent okra. Every other season, either my okra was like okra jerky, which means it was inedible, okay, or slime okra, which was also inedible, okay. And actually one year, Matt Brenner, my really bright roommate, decided to cut down all the sunflower plants in my garden, 
which was just all the okra that I had planted. <laughs> all right? To his credit, they do look pretty similar, actually, when they're pretty young and they're stocks. But he tore up my whole garden. One of my first memories, uh, it, back when we as a, a roommate group, like six or seven of us, decided we were going to all pool our money together and start gardening. And we were going to compost and everything, man. We were super excited. We went out and gardened. We grew squash that was like the size of our arms. And we were so impressed with ourselves. We're like, we'll be able to eat this for like two weeks, you know? Turns out the larger the, the vegetable generally, the less it tastes like anything other than water. Uh, there's a time period when it's, you're supposed to actually take that off. So gardening, I've quit. It's too hard. I'm terrible at it. Is anybody actually a decent vegetable gardener? Because I might actually, Micah, Micah's a decent. Okay, all right. I might have to talk to you guys about that. We'll see what happens. So um, I'm not going to try to use garden images because, like, two people in here, uh, you know, can garden. And so that's probably not going to to work here. But what what I want to do is to try to kind of bring this story home to you. And um, I want to read through, I guess, this passage real quick. And I'm going to read it kind of quickly, all right? And make some commentary on it, and then we're going to move forward. But let's go ahead and read through Luke 8. I do think it's kind of important. Again, like we did last week, I want you to really pay attention, not so much this week on the role that initiative and action takes, but the role that listening to Jesus' words, the role that has in all of these stories. And the idea of listening to what Jesus is doing, saying, watching, uh, and paying attention to those things. All right? So, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Twelve were with him. Some also had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Uh, Mary, from whom seven demons had come out. This is an interesting number here because later on, in fact, two weeks, we're going to talk about a story where Jesus talks about seven demons, or one demon coming out, and then seven coming back. Uh, and so it's kind of juxtaposing here that uh, once those uh, demons left, she actually did something about that, was able to move forward, and you know, wasn't in a worse situation than she was in the first place. A lot of scriptures here are going to talk a lot about demonic possession. And again, if you look at and see how much the focus is on Satan communicating certain things to people and keeping them from understanding the word of God. All right, so these women are helping. They're helping to support them out of their own means, which is actually pretty amazing uh, in and of itself. Uh, they're working hard so that Jesus can do his ministry. Loud crowd, a large crowd was gathering. They were probably also loud. Uh, coming to Jesus from the town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. He was trampled on. Birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. Uh, plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell thorns, grew up with it, and choked the plant. Still, other seed fell on good soil, came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? He has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is not the most difficult story ever. All right? Any gardener would understand, any farmer would understand, yeah, this is sort of happening right now. What Jesus does is he compares this just normal life thing that all of them understood to how people will be in terms of their acceptance or understanding of the kingdom of God. And so in that sense, he connects to them uh, in kind of an amazing way, and yet still people kind of don't, didn't understand the message that he was giving. It took some explanation. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And again, it's pretty interesting here that you could imagine uh, Jesus just getting up, telling the story, and then kind of 
only explaining what he meant to his disciples. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. Like, here's this good teacher. He heals all these people. He gets up and tells a story that every farmer would have understood. Yeah, okay, cool. What, this guy's a little zany, but I guess we'll stick around just because if we touch him, you know, we'll get healed. Um, but this was a weird story, okay? And people just didn't understand it. So where are you going with this? What's happening? It's very important, guys. And particularly as you spend time uh, in a scriptural one-on-one, that you, as you're sitting and as you're listening, try your best to pick someone in a story and spend time thinking about the story from their vantage point, Okay? Uh, this is probably one of the most helpful tools and techniques for really engaging Scripture, is sitting and thinking about you from whatever perspective you want. Don't try to jump around to multiple people. Uh, I used to do something super cheesy, and I haven't done this in like 10 years, and I don't care what you think about me, I'm just going to tell you. I had this really wonderful walking path, and so I did all kinds of weird stuff with that walking path. I just loved walking in this path, and it was just so conducive to me being active and really praying and listening. But I would sometimes... Like, do a little bit of, like, role play in the passage, you know, uh, with various characters. Now, part of the reason I did that is because I would do it with my kids that I was working with in Jam at the same time. Uh, I found that they loved the stories if I could, like, assign them roles and they could act out the story as they went. Uh, It it created a lot of weird ad-lib situations, um, but uh, that's okay because we could always help them direct them back to what the scripture is actually saying, not what their ad-lib line was in the moment. And that's actually pretty helpful uh, to teach kids. But anyway, so that's really helpful. So I, I think it's really important that you do that. So here's this crowd. They've listened to this parable that's like, duh, to them. Like, okay, yeah, we all know. What are you trying to teach us how to farm? I mean, even the fishermen among them would have understood this, this, uh, this farming thing. And so it was very, very strange. And that's why they're asking what it, what it means. Okay? So he explains it. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. He references Isaiah 6 here, and this is where Isaiah, that famous passage that we love to sort of gloss over, which is um, that you know, God you know, sort of gave them an ignorance in their hearing and a, and a lack of vision to see. And then that same passage, Isaiah is saying, you know, God, uh, you know, send me, I'm ready as Jesus, or God is, you know, basically asking, uh, you know, who's ready to go and, uh, and send this message to all of Israel. Well, he, before he knew what the message was, said, send me. And then God gives him this message. Tell everybody that, they, that though they listen, they're not going to hear, and though they see, they're not going to understand. <laughs> He's probably thinking in his mind, hmm, yeah, uh, all right, well, maybe there could be some explanation there, maybe not. And Isaiah does give that message throughout Israel, and this is what he's picking up on here uh, in this, this section. Okay. This is the meaning of the parable. Seeds is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. The devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they cannot believe and be saved. Those on the rocks are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. Seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear it, but go on their way, or choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with noble heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So, uh, gives this, uh, you know, story, kind of talks about how uh, there are these various responses to hearing something, and then people walk away with very different understandings of what's been said. Uh, this happens all the time in our relationships, right? And not only does it happen in our interpretation of Scripture, but it happens in our relationships. Two people have a conversation, you ask them what's been said, they go away, tell two very different uh, stories on what's happened. 
why is it that people have two different stories? Well, there's a lot in that. There's actually a really interesting TED Talk. Um, we'll, we'll watch one in just a moment that I think is easier to understand. But where a researcher from Australia, it's the five ways to listen better, talks about how most people, when they're listening, they have a filter, right? And that filter determines what it is they're actually going to hear. Uh, Walter Lippmann once said, a pretty famous journalist, you know, we don't first see, then define. We define first, then see. Uh, same thing with listening. One of the main reasons, as we, we talk about this a little bit longer, that listening is a process is because most of what we hear when we re- immediately hear something isn't what's being said to us. Let me think about that for a moment. It's in relationships. It's in scripture reading. What we hear is not really being said to us. It is our own mind filtering ideas and hearing what we want to hear. It takes a long time to build the habit and process of of being a good hearer, being a good listener. And in the scripture, uh, it's no different. It's why Jesus is saying here that it takes a while for that plant to grow, right? So you can kind of think about that, uh, carry that in the back of your mind. Um, So, I don't think I'm going to go through the rest of these stories here. I think I'll just allude to them, uh, unless you guys want me to. You're like, I don't really know uh, what I want you to do. Um, you want to go back through these? As you read them this week, did you have a lot of questions and weird thoughts and really want to address, like, you know, why Jesus decides to send some spirits into some pigs? <laughs> Poor pigs, right? You know, you're thinking, gosh, they could have gone to the abyss. That sounded like such a better place for them. No, yeah. Some of you are like, I never even read it. I don't even know what's in it. <laughs> It's like my classes, you know? I ask these questions that seem rhetorical, but in reality, they aren't rhetorical. Do you want me to read the rest of this passage? Yeah. Might as well. Okay, that's good to go with that. All right. Love it. All right. So Jesus' mom and brothers come, say, where is he? He makes this sort of rude comment that, uh, you know, my mothers and brothers are those who do the will of God. Now, what do you think about that in the context of this listening here? It's very easy for us to, when we want to hear what we want to hear, use our family as a crutch for that. This is really important, particularly when you're in college. I've watched this over and over again as people, when they heard something they didn't want to hear, run to their parents to hear what they do want to hear and ignore all good advice or scriptural advice uh, for the sake of their parents' advice. Uh, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring you together, but to bring a sword, right? to divide in some ways your family. We listen sometimes very selectively and intentionally get back what we want to hear. And Jesus is simply saying, that's not my family first and foremost. My family are those who do the will of God. He's placing them in a really interesting uh, context. And I think that's uh, particularly as people cared a whole lot more about family and its immediate impact on my job, my health, my well-being, back then than they would have even uh, today. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat, set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Squall came down in the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Disciples went and woke him up, which again, this is pretty interesting. These are the sailors, right? I mean, these are the guys, they're not sailors, uh, they're fishermen, but they're the ones who know the lake. They're the ones that have been on this lake time and time again. Uh, this lake, if you've ever seen pictures and you can look at it, it's actually pretty beautiful. On the east side in particular, has, it's about 700 feet below sea level, and it has these really tall sort of cliffs, and as the cold wind comes in, mixes with the warm air from the lake, it creates some pretty, pretty nasty little squalls on top of this lake, all right? So here they're going to go wake Jesus up. What's he going to do? 
He's not a fisherman. He's not, not been on the ocean before. Uh, but they're probably pretty smart in, uh, in at least doing that. They realized it was out of their control to do anything. He got up, rebuked the wind. Now, this is also interesting. In almost every miracle that someone does on earth in the scriptures, they talk, and even Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, they invoke God to come down and do something. And this is the first time that in their midst, Jesus does something on earth and doesn't invoke God. He just stops the storm. And I'm, I'm saying in regard to uh, you know, some sort of natural process, that kind of thing. So it's pretty amazing. So this is why it, they get this, uh, this response. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Obviously, they weren't quite at the point where they recognized Jesus for who he said he was. Okay? They're upping their faith as his words uh, seem to have power even over the things around them. So they sailed to this region, uh, which is a you know, sort of Gentile area, across the lake from Galilee, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And this is one of the first Gentile areas that a demon uh, possession uh, is, uh, you know, Jesus is faced with. And Jesus, you know, talks a lot about, you know, ministering only to the Jews, but then he has a lot of great things to say about the Gentiles. So he comes out, which, I mean, again, just imagine, putting your, put yourself, we, Ryan and I watched Exorcist 3 and Exorcist last night. I really wanted to include a video of, uh, from that to prove my point, but the problem is I like the video, but it can't really prove what I was going to say, plus some of you would really not be able to sleep for a while. Um, but I was just thinking about that. You know, you, we come across demon possession a lot in the scripture, and I don't want to talk too, too much about it um, because, uh, you know, we, ha we have our spirit series that we talked about. We, we addressed some of that. If you have questions, you know, we can uh, uh, talk about that. I think uh, either extreme of, you know, demons don't exist and demons are everywhere uh, isn't, isn't really a scriptural uh, precedent. <laughs> Um, you think that's really funny, right? <laughs> Which part, though? <laughs> Everywhere. Hey, listen, you grew up in an environment where that was uh, talked about. Um, it's not so funny. <laughs> Scared to death, right? Okay. Uh, why do you think that movie was such a big deal? I mean, if you watch it in retrospect, it's like not that scary. But, you know, in the 70s, the Catholic Church and all those things, now, unfortunately, there's a lot of scarier things in the Catholic Church. And so, um, well, we're not dissing them. I'm just saying. I don't... That's, all right. Uh, so at the time, you know, the, the demon possession ones uh, were, were quite, quite scary, right? Um, wow, thanks for messing me up. Uh, so this guy uh, cried, fell on his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. You know, one of the things I think that's also really challenging about uh, movies about demons is demons always seem to have at least an equal amount of power or force uh, with God's people, we don't get that at all in Scripture. You know, number one, demon possession can't happen for a Christian. And I know that's a strong claim, but I'm fully uh, ready to back that up. But also, every time a demon even gets close to sort of Jesus, it's always asking for stuff, you know, so, so nicely. So, uh, you know, please, you know, and this, this response, this is such a weird thing, guys. Don't send us into the abyss, which what is that? Send us into these pigs, now, what is happening here? This does not, does Jesus not like pigs? Well, technically, Jewish people didn't really like pork, right? That wasn't really a good, pork, pork was sort of like an unclean animal. Um, pork. Uh, pigs were an unclean animal, swine. Did you have a question, Josh? They were Gentiles, yeah, absolutely. I remember I mentioned at the first place that this was the first demon possession in a Gentile area. 
You're like, why are these, these are like secretive Jews that really love bacon, you know? Yeah. Like a sect of Judaism, you know? <laughs> right. R- ride them, yes. Yeah, riding pigs is, was pretty common back then. That's a good point. So it seems mean and it seems rude to, to kind of send these animals off and these pigs, but I want you to notice two things that happen here. One is, for whatever reason, the demons have in their mind that they're somehow going to maintain or continue their existence in these pigs. What actually happens is these pigs immediately go and run off a cliff, right? And you're like, Jesus probably saw that happening. He's like, well, I'm going to end up sending you into an abyss anyway. If you want to go through the pigs, fine. And then you're like, well, what is that? Jesus, that, you know, I mean, these were good pigs. These, you created these animals. But what's really important about this story is watch how the people respond in Mark. Luke doesn't record it, but in Mark, to losing those pigs. What do they do? They run Jesus out of their city. They would rather have pigs uh, who are healthy and alive and a demon-possessed man than a demon being uh, depossessed, exercised, there we go, um, and their pigs be dead. Jesus was very much using this as a judgment on this group of people, that you guys care so much about your economy and the things that you care more than about the people around you. And this was the judgment that he gives in this, uh, this second part here. Uh, you know, they were, they were afraid, they sent him out. Even the man himself is like, I'm afraid, I don't want to be here. These people like pigs more than they like me. Okay? But Jesus says, no, you go to your household and it, what's interesting about him is he goes well beyond his household, doesn't he? He goes to the whole city telling what Jesus has done. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. But you, t- you see the kind of two different vantage points there. The two, are they really seeing what's going on, listening to what Jesus is saying? So he left. The man, uh, you know, we already got that. We're going to go to uh, verse 40 now. So when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus, the, uh, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleaded with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked, when they all denied it. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but it's just, we didn't touch you. They're all like hitting around, you know, and maybe Peter's like got, got like a, you know, I don't know, have a swollen toe, and he's like, let me just try this real quick, you know, he touches Jesus. Uh, who touched me? He knows that something's gone on here and something important. He's able to listen, see, sense in the midst of the crowd to recognize something important's gone on. He could have easily just continued walking. He didn't. Other times he did and allowed people to touch him. So there's something significant about Luke including this story here. Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. How would you ever know who touched you? Like, they're like, what's wrong with this guy, you know? Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that they could not, she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Uh, I mean, that story is just crazy in a number of ways. Obviously, she was doing this unnoticed because she was unclean. She wasn't even supposed to be in this, this area at all. She took the risk and did it because she knew for sure, uh, you know, or uh, had a good idea that Jesus would heal her. And he uh, uh, commends her for that. You can imagine, though, at the same time, Jairus, the ruler, is like, okay, fine, she's bleeding, my daughter is dying, let's toss those up, let's take care of the bleeding lady and talk to her later, 
the, the, you know, the, my daughter is kind of the most important thing there. So you can tell he's probably just kind of gritting. I mean, I, I would if it were on the way. And then, of course, the worst happens. Uh, he is told that his daughter has died. He dejectedly, or even angrily, I don't know, just says, don't bother the teacher, or his uh, representative said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus looked to Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, they did not let anyone go in except Peter. He says she's not dead but asleep. They all laugh at him. I, I can't imagine what kind of laughter that would have been, um, going from crying and angry to laughing. It would have definitely been the kind of derisive laughter that's probably the worst kind of laughter. Uh, and, uh, and yet, Jairus's faith somehow uh, is enough for Jesus to go and... Uh, and heal her. So, one of the things I want to bring out from this passage, and obviously there's a lot there, um, is how important it is to listen and actually hear what God is doing among us. What he's done in the scripture. Seeing the behind the scenes to how the spirit is working constantly around us. The processing of listening, I think, often is listening to Jesus' whisper in a storm because we have so many things going on around us. We're prepared to hear him in really amazing and wonderful ways, and yet it's the diligent, small growth of a plant day by day by day that enables us to really build a listening ear to what Jesus has to say. It's not the moments, and it's not the powerful you know, remember to Moses when it came time for him to hear God or see God, it came in the small wind and the small voice, that is the message to us. You don't wake up or pursue God and in a day all of a sudden there's a booming voice and some, even sometimes Christians get into this, I prayed and then two days later God answered my prayer in this miraculous way. Maybe, or maybe that conversation you had already two or three times and just didn't recognize it. But it's in often those mundane things uh, that we always, uh, or that we hear God in the whisper. It's also the same kind of thing as we, you know, what you see is not always what you get. In the same way, you know, what you hear is not always what's actually uh, happening or your understanding. It's very important to think back to this Isaiah 6 passage. You know, Jesus is not intentionally trying to make people not be able to see him and not be able to understand and hear him. He is simply remarking that when his words are available, most people choose for whatever reason not to listen and not to respond. And as Christians, if we're honest, we do this on a daily basis. At our best, we're intentional and we're building a slow ability, a process to be able to really hear uh, God speak and we're actually listening to him. Uh, But if we're honest, most uh, days and weeks go by without really a word uh, from God that we've recognized as being that word from him. Um, This week, uh, they had an assignment in one of the small groups, the Anxiety and Depression small group. Some of you are doing this now, I think. We did a week early. uh, Where you were to pick a proverb that really, or a psalm that really helps you with um, anxiety or depression, and then write your own psalm or proverb. So I wanted to read Josh Caperton and my psalm because it's or proverb because it's so good. Um, just kidding, it's really not. Uh, but I'm just trying to give you a variety of different options for things that you could be doing on your own, uh, since you guys are obviously not doing anything yet. Uh, yeah. So 
um, his proverb uh, came from Proverbs 3, I think, right, Josh? Josh didn't remember. He just looked up a proverb right before we met and pretended like he had done the work. Uh, he just admitted that to me this morning, so I was like, oh, wow, what good insight, and, you know, no, uh-uh. All right, that's fine. That's better than not doing it at all, right? Yeah? Do you see it? Um, Proverbs uh, 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Easy enough, right? Proverbs 20. Uh, I remember this one being a, uh, a really, really important verse for me, um, pretty early on in dealing with my own depression. And it was shared with me by a minister, and I just, it's been memorized. I've been memorizing, what? It's been in my mind for so long now. I don't think I ever intentionally memorized it. But it just says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Really, really love that. Um, I relate it to this idea of listening because we have so many voices in our head going on, and we're more likely to listen to our own voice than we are to the voices uh, uh, who are, that are coming from the outside, certainly from coming from the scripture, coming from spiritual people, that kind of thing. We have a tendency to do that, and yet these passages talk about listening to Jesus' words above all else. The psalm that, uh, that we created, uh, you know, I'm pulling it up here. Give me a second. Uh, and again, this is a great acti- uh, activity to do in uh, Proverbs or in um, uh, Psalms to write your own. Are you of, uh, critical of others' opinions, but not so much your own? Don't believe everything you think. To a penguin in the tundra, the desert can't be explained. It's with others we see the world. It's with God we understand it. Who are we to question God's character? Thought is good for the mind and soul, but judgment is for God alone. Throw out your premature ideas and replace them with truth and wisdom that has been laid before you. It's with God we understand it. I really like these uh, um, uh, proverbs that we use because, again, the idea goes back to all of these voices, calling them out, and really hearing uh, from God. So I have two videos for you. One is super, dis- it's not super disturbing. It's just, it's like a sweet, new age little video that is a children's story. Just be glad I didn't share with you Furry Potter, okay? And the Goblet of Cookies, <laughs> all right? And Crumbledore, uh, who's in the video teaching uh, Cookie Monster how to reach his goal of getting the Goblet of Cookies, okay? <laughs> it could be worse than this video. I like this video. It's actually based on a really old sort of fairy tale fable that's pretty common, actually, in a lot of cultures. And that's partly why I like it. But it is a kid's video. It's written kind of weird. There's some weird stuff in it. It might haunt you. I don't know. Hopefully, if you just pass the haunting, you know, way that it's presented and listening to the story, you'll be good. Uh, and then, um, then I'm going to show you one more video, and, uh, and we'll be good to go from there. Once upon a time, there was a boy who had stopped listening. So his ears grew smaller and smaller until at last they finally disappeared. And so, naturally, no one ever thought to tell him a story. And though his head was filled with pictures of the world and he raced here and there to do a million things, there was something missing. He could not find a home for his imagination. And the beautiful box of wonder in his mind remained always just out of reach. 
Then one day, he came upon a storyteller telling stories to children in the park. His eyes sparkled, and he wore a raggedy suit with all the colors of the earth and sky. With his deep, gentle voice, he wove a wondrous tapestry for the children gathered at his feet. And as he spoke, a miracle occurred. Two tiny ears, no bigger than a freckle, appeared on either side of the boy's head. And for the very first time, he began to listen. The boy returned to the park every day, and with each story, his ears grew eagerly. They grew and grew until one day, the boy's ears opened like doors, and the music of the world became a symphony. And then, not knowing why, he closed his eyes and knew that deep within himself, something had changed. For the box of wonder that was always just out of reach seemed at that moment almost close enough to touch. Seasons passed, and the storyteller grew weak and frail, and could no longer come to the park to tell his stories. The boy thought, what will happen to my ears if there are no stories? The answer came. The beautiful box of wonder in his mind floated down and lay open at his feet. Inside were four gifts, wrapped in rags of many colors. The boy smiled and thought to himself, These are from the old storyteller in the park. Unwrapping them, he beheld four small words, Once upon a time. With these four words, he became his own storyteller and never had to worry about losing his ears or his wonder ever again. Come and open your own box of wonder as you listen to our many stories at the Story Home. The comments are even funnier. By the end of that, I was laughing pretty hard. <laughs> And I was just thinking to my mind that I would try to play it off like I wrote it, but uh, then y'all wouldn't have been able to laugh, I don't think. You'd have been holding in your laughter, so. All right, uh, this one's a really interesting video of a guy that I've heard before. Uh, does a lot of work in South America uh, doing uh, civil war, uh, particularly civil war conflict resolution. Uh, he met with Hugo Chavez in Venezuela for a long time. He actually mentions it here. Uh, and it's just some really interesting ideas about the way listening um, particularly he's talking about our relationships with each other, but there's definitely some applications to uh, really listening to uh, uh, the word in our hearts and in our minds. So I'm going to listen to this. I, the irony here is he talks so slow that I had the guys speed it up to one and a half times. <laughs> so if it seems like he's talking fast, it's actually not fast. It's just slow. It'll be like eight minutes. And that's just too long, guys. Am I right? You know, videos need to be right around the four or five minute mark. So, okay, great. And it brings huge benefits. Listening may be the golden key that opens the door to human relationship. So how do we listen? Well, it turns out that we often take listening for granted as something easy and natural. 
But in fact, at least in my experience, Turn real listening, genuine listening, <laughs> is something that needs to be learned and practiced every day. In ordinary listening, we're hearing the words and we're often thinking, where do I agree? Where do I disagree? What am I going to say in response? In other words, the focus is on us. In genuine listening, however, the spotlight moves to the other person. We put ourselves in their shoes. We tune into their wavelength. We listen from within their frame of reference, not just ours. And that's not easy. In genuine listening, we listen not just for what's being said, but for what's not being said. We listen not just to the words, but to what's behind the words. We listen for the underlying emotions and feelings, the underlying needs, what that person really needs or wants. Let me give you an example. About a year and a half ago, I was invited to ask a Brazilian entrepreneur by the name of Abilio Diniz to help him because he was trapped in a titanic legal dispute with his French business partner over the control of Brazil's largest retailer. The Financial Times called it perhaps the biggest cross-continental boardroom showdown in recent history. It had gone on for two and a half years and it was immensely costly and stressful, not only to both parties but to their families and the 150,000 employees of the company. So when I sat down with Abilio in his home, I listened to his story, and after that I had a question. I said, Abilio, help me understand here. What do you really want? And he said, well, I want the stock at a certain price. I want you know, the company headquarters. I want the elimination of the non-compete clause. And he gave me a list. But I, as I listened, heard something deeper there that was unspoken. So I asked him, Abilio, you're a man who seems to have everything. What are these things really going to give you? What do you most want in your life? And he paused for a moment and thought about it. And finally he said, freedom. I want my freedom. I want to be free to pursue my business dreams, and I want to be free to spend time with my family. That was it. I was hearing the human being behind the words, not just the champion businessman. And so once we were clear about his deepest need, then the negotiation itself, while challenging, became a lot easier. And in four short days, my colleagues and I, by listening to the other side, we're able to take this titanic dispute and resolve it with a settlement that left both sides highly satisfied. As Abilio, who became a friend in the process, later told me, I got everything I wanted, but most importantly, I got my life back. How did that happen? Through the simple power of listening. So if listening is so useful, why isn't everyone doing it? <laughs> well, to tell you the truth, it's not so easy. I mean, if I reflect on my own experience for a moment, there are times when I feel like, you know, I'm listening pretty well in my work, only to go home and find out I'm not listening so well to my wife, for example. It's humbling, I can tell you. The, the real problem in the way, what makes it so hard to listen, is that there's so much going on in our minds, so much noise and distraction, that we don't have the mental and emotional space to be able to truly listen to the other side. So, how do we clear our minds? It may seem odd, but the secret I find is if we want to listen to the other side, we have to learn to listen to ourselves first. When I was sitting there with President Chavez, what really helped me was that just beforehand, I had taken a few moments of quiet just to pay attention to what was going on for me, to listen to myself, to quiet my mind. So when he began shouting, I was ready. I could notice, in fact, that my cheeks were reddening, 
that uh, my jaw was a little clenched. I felt some fear or some anxiety. And by paying attention to those sensations and emotions, I was able to let them go so that I could then listen truly to President Chavez. So what if before an important or delicate or sensitive conversation, we took a moment of silence just to tune in, listen to where we are. I believe if we did that, if we listened truly to ourselves first, we would find it a lot easier to listen to others. So the final question is, is if we listened more, what difference would it make in the world? I believe it would make a huge difference. As in the course of my mediation work, I've personally witnessed the enormous cost of conflict, the broken relationships, the broken families, the stressed out workplaces, the ruinous lawsuits, the senseless wars. And what always strikes me is that the biggest opportunity that we have, actually, is to prevent these conflicts even before they start. How do we do that? It's not easy, but it almost always starts with one simple step, listening. So this is my dream. A listening revolution that can turn this age of communication into an age of listening. In other words, an age of true communication. Imagine for a moment a world in which every child learns to listen at an early age. What if, they taught, what if we taught listening in school, like we teach reading, as a core skill? Because after all, listening is how you read people. Imagine a world in which parents learn to listen to their children. What better way, after all, is there for us to teach our children to listen to us than for us to listen to them? What better way for us to show our children that they truly matter? What better way is there to show our love? And as an extra bonus, maybe we'd see happier marriages and fewer divorces as couples learn to listen to each other. Imagine a world in which leaders learned how to listen to their people. What if we chose leaders on their ability, based on their ability to listen, not just talk? What if listening became the norm in our organizations and not just the exception? What if on radio and TV we had not just talk shows, but listen shows? <laughs> what if we had not just peace talks, but peace listens? I firmly believe that we get to yes a lot more often. We might not eliminate all conflict, but we would avert a lot of fights and even wars. And everybody would be much better off. And I, very happily, might be out of a job. <laughs> That's my dream. And while it may seem audacious, it's not that complicated. Because listening can be a chain reaction in which each person who is genuinely listened to feels naturally inspired to listen to the next. Listening can be contagious. And so I invite you to start this chain reaction today, right here, right now. In your next conversation with a colleague or a client, a partner or a child, a friend or a stranger, give them your full attention and listen to the human being behind the words. Because one of the biggest gifts we can give anyone is the gift of being heard. With the simple power of listening now, we can transform our relationships, our families, and our world for the better ear by ear. Thank you for listening. All right, um, well, I want to wrap up here real quick by showing you the video again of the boy with the ears. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> I, can't believe, 
have, have you ever heard that story before? Parents telling their kids, if you don't listen, you know, your ears will, you know, you'll lose your ears. Really? Okay. Thanks, Tyrus. Good job. Let me say something, because we haven't really talked a lot about practical, uh, you know, applications to some of these things. But I'll, I'll say that for me, the reason I often don't listen to other people uh, and you know, uh, to God as well, is it, it ultimately comes down to pride for me. It's about thinking my ideas are smarter, better, the way that people are talking is below me or uninteresting or whatever else. And if you want to really work on humility, working on being able to be comfortable with who you are in Christ, listening is probably one of the best steps. Now, I want to be clear on something. Just because you're not a talker doesn't mean you're listening. <laughs> Plenty of you who are not talkers still don't listen. You're either listening to the voices inside your head that say, I'm uninteresting, I, don't, I shouldn't talk, I, I'm not you know, um, you know, uh, smart enough to be able to have this conversation. That's not listening. That's still your own voice talking. And it's just as much not listening as the person like me who will talk over you. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about really being comfortable with ourselves and particularly comfortable with God to be able to truly listen to people. Uh, I've always been struck by that... Um, quote about how Jesus asked over 350 some odd questions in the scripture. Uh, he was constantly setting people up to talk so that he could listen and deal with what was really there. And it's the same way with scripture, guys. It's, it's that listening day in, day out process that helps us distinguish God's voice amongst all of the other things that are going on in our brain. As we take communion now, I'd love for you to share a thought or a response you have to, uh, to what we've talked about. Um, maybe an idea you have for something you could create based on this uh, that you could share in the, uh, the forum, form, uh, Google, whatever that is, okay? Lord God, thank you so much for our ability to hear just as a, um, just the natural gift of hearing is amazing. But help us not take that for granted. Uh, through your spirit, teach us to hear your word clearly and to hear the human behind other people's words, to hear your indelible fingerprints on them, and to really take that serious. It sounds pie in the sky, kind of, because uh, listening is so hard, it seems. And we convince ourselves that we've already heard what we needed to hear, but help us get through our filters to really be like Jesus, to hear where people are at, um, both in uh, the hidden things and in the things that they prioritize up front to tell us. We love you, Lord, and we celebrate you now uh, for the great, great God you are. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com.